free my mind Open my heart with the whispers of truth To live a conscious life To live a conscious life On the growing edge On the growing edge And now, here's Allie Good morning and welcome to Growing Edge. We're live here today and I'm so happy that you're here. It's a cold and snowy morning here at the top of Utah and I'm sending you lots of hugs and knowing that today's show is going to lift your spirits and open your heart. Uh, yeah, feels really good to be here and I'm really excited to have my guest today that you're going to meet up with in just a minute. So Growing Edge Live is sponsored by Satya, and we're all about inspiring minds, healing hearts, and transforming lives. And this broadcast, this show, and soon to be podcast is conversations, soul-centered conversations with heart-centered individuals that are channeling their time, their energy, their love, their creativity, their resources into doing good works on the planet. And so dig in. We're going to have a really great conversation today. We're going to go deep. It's going to be fun. It's going to be lively. So I'm really glad that you're here today. We always start Growing Edge with a segment that we call Ask Ali. And today I have a question from Kyle. And Kyle says, I have my life together and I'm feeling on top of things. And sometimes I feel like I've lost it. Some, wait, hold on, I'm gonna start again. Sometimes I have my life together and I feel like I'm on top of things. And sometimes I feel like I've lost it. There seems to be part of me that is spiritual, peaceful, confident, and happy. And then there's part of me that isn't. Isn't that true for all of us? I exercise, I meditate, I read, I listen to spiritual, inspiring stuff. I have a great family. I do work that is meaningful. I'm involved with my community. Am I missing something? No, I don't think so. I think that we all experience this kind of contrast in our lives. We have days when things seem to be clicking along and we seem to be on top of things. We our mind is calm, our emotions are grounded and centered, and we seem to be able to respond to the world as it comes to us in a really centered and spiritually mature way. And then there's those days when it's not that way, and, and it can seem like one little thing can trigger us. Maybe we don't have all the things that we think we need, or maybe someone asks us to do something that we're not, you know, in the in the mindset or the heart set to do, or maybe we get a difficult, com somebody calls us with, um, you know, a problem that we feel overwhelmed by. So yes, we all have these ups and these downs, this yin and this yang, the, the clarity and the chaos, it's all going on. That's what life's all about. It's this constant dance of, of change and contrast and it goes on within us and it goes on in the world around us. It goes on within our relationships, at our workplaces, it goes on all the time. And so 
my suggestion is to just take a breath. Take a breath and relax. Because when I'm triggered like that, when I don't seem to have access to the answers or when I seem to to come at a relationship, a conversation with this sense of, of defensiveness or this sense of wanting to push back or avoid this flight or fight or freeze or fix kind of uh, ego response, I realize that it's an opportunity for me to take a breath. And maybe in real time, we don't have the luxury of, of taking a breath, but I think after you hear what I have to say, I think you'll have greater access to the peace that's always here, the peace that sort of um, underpins reality that I think we can get to when we have the, we come from the perspective that everything is up and down, long and short, right and wrong, beautiful and ugly. It's all in the world and it's all within us. But it seems like our ego wants to push that back. Our ego wants to, to, to deny those parts of us. And so you, you actually use the term part. There seems to be a part of me that is spiritual, peaceful, confident, happy. Then there's a part of me that isn't. Well, my friend, we all have parts. We have angry parts, frustrated parts, defensive parts, happy parts, creative parts. And I feel that if we're struggling, then it's an opportunity for us to sit down, maybe in kind of a contemplation or a meditative place or space, and invite those parts. Invite that angry part. Invite in that defensive part. And, and let it have a moment. What would it say? So you could have a conversation with that part of yourself. So as you sit in the, the head of the, the table, so to speak, and you've got <clears throat> these other parts of your personality sitting around the table, you have a conversation and you give anger a moment to express itself. You give frustration a moment to share what's on its mind. You give fear a moment to join in the conversation. And you start to realize, wow, I've got all of this going on. I've got some anger, fear, frustration, confusion. I've got some joy and happiness and, and creativity. It all is welcome at the table of your life. But when we deny it, when we only listen to the that voice that says, you need to get on, you need to get over it, you need to push that down, then we have that experience and it feels like frustration. But when we simply give those voices, those stories that have been part of our reality some time to, to speak, it's as though the window opens and some fresh air blows in and we begin to see that, hmm, is that voice of fear true? Is that voice of confusion really true? So we can do a little self-inquiry. And then we can begin to love that part of us, all of those parts of us, give, extend a little compassion and grace to those fearful parts of our personality. And we start to be more able to choose the part of us that we want to be in charge in our life. And it sounds like 
you said that there's this spiritual, peaceful, confident, happy part. Well, that would be a beautiful part to take the lead whilst loving those other parts along the way. So, Kyle, that's my best offering to you today. And I hope that, that this brings you a sense of peace, just knowing that we're always dealing with energy and the energy of fear or the energy of confusion. It's there. It comes and it goes. And there's all of those wonderful energies that lift us up and buoy us into this place where we feel like we can take charge. We can dream a new dream. We can organize ourselves, our, our thoughts and our feelings, our actions, our words, and bring some coherence into manifesting the life that we want to live. It takes some practice. It takes including all of those parts, extending them some love and some grace and becoming at peace with yourself amidst the turmoil of this crazy world, which is always going to be the yin and the yang, the, the light, the dark, the up, the down, the highs, the lows, the bitters, the sweets. It's the game of life. So peace and blessings to you. And if you have a question that you would like us to dive into here on Growing Edge, then go ahead and send it. You can see the email there, growingedgelive at gmail. And I'd like to address it, so send it to us. Thank you. All right, so now transitioning into my very favorite part of the show, and this is my deep dive conversation. Today I have a guest with me that is a dear, dear friend. We have worked together, we've played together, we've had tears together, and, and he's been an amazing support to me in my life. Mark Anthony Lord, welcome to Growing Edge Live. Mark is a spiritual teacher. He's a leader in new thought and beyond. He is a master teacher in A Course in Miracles. And he has produced so many amazing programs. I'm sure some of our guests have participated in those. He's also the founder of the Bodhi Center in Chicago, which was such a, a place of light and joy and creativity. And so it's with great joy that I say hello and give you a big virtual hug, Mark. Thank you, Ali. It is uh, so good to be here, truly. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. So I'd love our guests to get to know you a little bit, like I know you. <laughs> and I also hope to, to learn more about you and get to know you even more. So tell us a little bit about your journey. Um, where did you, what are your upbringing, your parents, your family, your, you know, how did all of that affect you and a little bit about your spiritual path mm. and yeah, we'll start there. All right. I'll try to keep it concise and uh, <laughs> cut me off <laughs> if I'm going to, cause that's a big question. Yeah, um, I know it is. Yeah. Um, again, so happy to be here, but um, I, I was raised in a Catholic family, blue collar Detroit, very disempowered people, uh, very much the world of God is outside. God is separate. I'm a sinner. There's something wrong with me. 
And so they all smoked and drink, drank and pretended otherwise or did the best they could to not suffer. Um, I'm a gay man. I knew I was different as early as three years old. And so for me, I mentioned that because it had a very strong overlay of, oh, I am the broken one. There's something really wrong with me. And God, I am on the, I used to, I say it this way now, but what it felt like then was like, if there is a bus going to hell that God is sending, I'm in the front seat of that bus. And uh, I think a lot of people can relate to that from their childhood experience. But I reference that to say like, that's real psychic wounding. That's re religious abuse, I think, for any religious organization to make someone feel unworthy. Uh, and that's just what happened to me. So it was a real, real deep wound. Uh, and by my teen years, I threw God out, threw everything out, wanted nothing to do with it, which many of us do. Fast forward mid-20s, I uh, got into some real addiction tendencies, drugs, and uh, lots of self-destructive behavior. And the gift of that is I ended up in a uh, treatment center that was very, very spiritually based. And it was there truly without that 30 days of being in this place that was just filled with God and filled with healing and filled with people that were so different from the world I knew. I mean, that's really, that was like 24, 25 years old. And that's when my path really, my spiritual path came alive. And some of my experiences there so really, really sent me down a completely different path, the path I'm walking on today. So uh, that's a that's what my childhood was like. And in at that treatment center and since then, I have rediscovered an, a, the real God, the real God that, you know, is in my soul and judges nothing and and the loving universe and spiritual practices that have profoundly healed the trauma and the sense of brokenness and continue to use that because, you know, sometimes it does feel like layers of the onion, like you were referring to in that first question that you addressed, you know? Yeah. That's interesting because I've never thought of this connection with you and I, but I too really sort of moved out of that old paradigm of the, the, you know, the, I grew up in England and, our church, the Church of England, was more like the Episcopal Church here is. Mm -hmm. And my parents weren't very religious. Um, I would just go to church on Easter and Christmas. But there was a period of my life when I was particularly rebellious and, you know, misbehaving. And my dad would send me to church. And so <laughs> I could just, I, I walked across, we lived on a golf course in a tiny little village. And I'd walk across the golf course, like to the very earliest service and I wouldn't see anyone you know it's like the sunrise service or some something like that and I'd go and you know like just sit at the back and I don't even know but that was my experience and but I the thing that that um connects us a little bit is that I didn't I was searching when I had kids I was looking for some kind of spiritual something for them you know I had just wandered off and you know, I'd had a mystical experience when I was a youngster. So there was that in me that kind of fed me. But I was looking for something tangible to to offer them. Yeah. Tried the Episcopal Church. Again, lots of fear, lots of, you know, things I didn't like. I didn't want my children to think they were evil in some way for, you know, doing whatever they would do, lie or cheat or whatever. Um 
And so where I really found connection to the divine was at an Al-Anon meeting. Mm. And so, you know, we had, our family had challenges with addiction. And, and so it was in the Al-Anon rooms that I began to, to understand God as a completely different idea than I had growing up. And I think a lot of people come to their spiritual journey with, with you know, the, the God within through a time of challenge and then end up in a 12-step of some sort. So, yeah. And so what did, how was that first sort of spiritual experience in a 12-step a program? What were some of your early likes or interests with this new spiritual relationship with with God yeah well the 12 step rooms were tough for me because you know I was 24 and I was too cool for the crowd you know <laughs> so my idea was to um you know get in get fixed and get out so I had a lot to learn about that but more importantly um back to the treatment center I often reference this profound, moment, a minute that truly, truly changed my tra trajectory. And I was leaving my counselor's office and I literally remember opening the door and she said, Hey, Mark, two things. And I turned around and looked at her and she said, you need to one, get a new God. And two, you need to learn how to forgive or you will die. And those were her exact words. And they pierced my soul. And thank God they did because you know, it takes a while for the denial and things like that to really, you know, drop away. And many people with addictions don't make it, you know, and, and that's fine. That's everyone's journey is perfect in the, in the end. And, but for me, that really, I think that was the pivotal thing because I heard that and I felt that and, and, and it scared me, honestly, enough yeah. that it made me really, really get interested. And that really became what my life was about. And I discovered very quickly, Allie, most everyone, I think everyone at that time, at least didn't even know what forgiveness really is. Yeah. They, they couldn't find the best minister to tell me in a way that was understandable and applicable. And today I understand why, because I do have a deeper revelation of it. And it's not easy <laughs> to describe the mystical part of it, but it's so vitally important. Um, Course of Miracles, that is the key spiritual practice, really, that it uses to awaken spiritually from the dream, forgiveness. Right. So, gosh, you, you're talking about a lot of things. Um, you know, I'm imagining at that point when you were a young man and you, your, your therapist or your counselor mentioned forgiveness and finding a new God. So forgiveness at that point, can you go a little deeper there? Because I, I do want to get to the book you wrote on forgiveness and A Course in Miracles, the whole premise is forgiveness. But I want to like take us back to that point where you're in that office and you're, you know, that I'm sure like all of us at that age, there's all these fingers pointing out, blaming our parents and blaming our whatever, whoever. Like how, how did your 24-year-old self you know, what, who were you forgiving? What was, what was it and how did you cope with it and maybe talk about your forgiveness journey with your parents and with your, your early life situation and what you were experiencing as a young gay man? 
Um, well, that is such a good question because my understanding of forgiveness then was basically like, yeah, this bad thing happened. Yeah, you were victimized, but you've got to be better. You've got to, it's sort of, it was mm. either like two options. Either forgiveness is this self-righteous act that says, well, you were broken and, and I feel bad for you, so I'll forgive you. Or it was this like, well, I'm a victim. It happened and I can't do anything because they have more power than me. So I'll just sort of accept that I'm a doormat. And even that somehow makes me better than in some way. Either way, my the worldly forgiveness, the way that the world taught me forgiveness and my personal experience of forgiveness didn't work. Mm -hmm. It really was a one up or a one down, but it was not a true release. And, you know, the world was filled with people, you know, you really should forgive that, you know, aren't you over that yet? You know, like, and and so a lot of people walk around feeling bad, like, yeah, I should be done with this or, or I think I forgave it, but it's still haunting me. So what's wrong with me? Mm -hmm. That's what mm -hmm. people do. And I did the same thing. Yeah. So it's, it sounds like this was, you know, maybe she introduced forgiveness and you went to all those places of like tr trying to figure out how to do it. And it oh didn't. my goodness. And that must've lasted for a long time um, because you hadn't awoken, let's say, to this deeper, profound um, wisdom that you gained on what forgiveness really is. Yeah. So yeah. there must've been the first forgiveness, like the surface forgiveness. And then later on in your life, you came to this, you know, through the, your own work, through your own sense of discovery, your own relationship with the divine or with God, what forgiveness really was. So, um, so when you did the first forgiveness, you know, when you were trying it on, so to speak, yeah. Yeah. you know, how did that impact your relationship? Because you, what I'm hearing is it, it wasn't quite it, like the, it wasn't like true forgiveness as you see it today, but it was an attempt to to have a relationship or have a, a you know clear up those feelings of blame or anger that you had towards whomever so you know how you know tell me a little bit about your the evolution of your forgiveness within your within your body within your life well um yeah, you're right. I mean, even a willingness to try it on, I think that it's a loving universe, you know, it's not going to go, well, you don't have it perfect yet. So, <laughs> you know, try again. Um, everything was adding up to it. However, a misunderstanding and a misapplication does make it take longer. Mm -hmm. And that was my experience, you know, until I had had an actual mystical experience, which was at age 30, when I really had a very profound unbelievable experience where forgiveness transformed my mind and my vibration in an instant. And okay. That, I want to know, I want a snapshot. I want you yeah, to that like, go back to that moment. <laughs> and okay. I want you to give us what that was. Okay. I will make this concise. Um, I was working as a choreographer and director and performer, and I was living in LA and I was flown to Chicago to direct a show. And I was at the table read. And the show was about sexual abuse. I had been sexually abused as a child at age six, very, very profoundly, very, very uh, horribly. And so all of this was being stirred up. And I was doing my forgiveness work on this, by the way, because that was the impetus for my self-destructive behavior part mm -hmm. of it in my mm -hmm. 20s. 
So I've been working with a spiritual practitioner. I was, you know, just started going to Agape in LA and, you know, was very getting involved and, and working with them. And so here I am in Chicago reading this story. I'm getting triggered inside. I'm just shaking, but I'm trying to keep my shit together because I'm at a table read with the money people. And so I get through that. I get on the plane to fly home and I sat on the window seat. I put my sunglasses on. I remember every moment I turned my head towards the window and tears are coming down my face. And I just kept saying, I asked that forgiveness set me free. God help me. I asked that forgiveness set me free. God help me. It's all I knew to say. I didn't, I, I couldn't take the pain was so in me. And suddenly I was literally like, I felt like God grabbed me and pulled me back out of the scene, like holding my head and said, see this as I see this. And the whole overlay of the abuse disappeared and the back of it was light dancing with light. It just looked like a dance, a dance of light. And I was told by God in my whatever, that is all that's ever really happening. Everything else is the overlay is a lie. That's what is to be forgiven. And the whole story just dissolved. And it was like put into this ball, like the see-through ball and was thrown off into the universe. I saw it. It became fireworks. And I was told that story will never harm you. It no longer lives in you. It is forgiven. You will now only remember it in teaching moments. Literally, I was given that detailed instruction. And wow. to this day, it's never hurt me. I feel don't feel it in me. It is gone. And even when I tell you the story now, it just comes back to mind for this purpose. Otherwise, it doesn't exist. That's mm. really what forgiveness does. I wouldn't have known that. No one ever told me that. Had I not had a pure healing from it, I wouldn't know it myself. Wow, that's that's beautiful. Yeah. And that really gives you so much to draw from as you author a book, involve, you know, do seminars, workshops, counseling, for you to have had that like ding, that little moment and that a little like, moment. I love that. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's a huge moment, but it's, it was just there on the plane. I mean, in the grand scheme of things from like, you know, some distance galaxy, it's a little yes. moment, but it was so yes. profound and has probably influenced, oh, probably influenced, we lost you for a sec. So that little moment, that little big moment, that profound moment has kind of set you on a particular trajectory, yes. a course yes. where you carry the grace and the blessings and the wisdom to be able to support people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, truly. There's wow. two, I, you're so right. And thank you for seeing that because it is a gift that I can't even like, I, you, we had the party that's like, why me? What did I do? You know what I mean? But what did I do? I gave my life to finding it and dedicated my practice because I couldn't stop. But there's two things that happen. You're right. Number one, when someone tells me their story, the painful story, I can hold space and I have compassion, but I hold with certainty that that's not who they are. And in their spirit, it never happened. I don't say it never happened to them face to face because that can be metaphysical abuse, in my opinion, to just use truth that is not understandable, but we hold that. If you know it never happened in their soul and their spirit, and you just hold that in your vibration, it extends 
the gift. Yeah. And they can, even if they can't consciously know it, they're beginning to heal. Now, the second part that's harder is like sometimes I feel like a musician with perfect pitch. And you know, if a musician with perfect pitch, pitch they suffer because if someone's even a little <laughs> bit out of tune, they're like, oh, it hurts. I got to be honest, Allie, so many spiritual teachers teach forgiveness and they don't know what it is. They're, yeah. I, I, it's just like, they're, I'm, I'm just like, oh, <laughs> you don't know. You're just saying the words. And that's right. okay. Like, that's how I found my way there. But it's just sort of honestly, like, I sort of have perfect pitch with forgiveness. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm, we're going to go to a quick break. Free my mind. Open my heart with the whispers of truth to live a conscious life. To live a conscious life on the growing edge. On the growing edge. And now, here's Ali. We're back. Okay, so let's, and I'm, I'm going to invite the viewers to get a uh, maybe a pencil, pen, or your phone to take some notes here because I want you to give us this, um, you know, what forgiveness truly is, how you evolved in the understanding of it, and and how you came to a course in miracles, which is you know, so forgiveness is so key to that teaching. Um, so can you share a little bit so people can really understand? Because many of us think forgiveness is what we started off talking about. Yeah, I know. You know, feel bad about themselves because it's still, you know, all of thoughts are, are lingering around because, you know, we can't forgive or we're holding on to it or it just doesn't make sense to us. We feel ashamed. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, the deepest reason we can't forgive and this is hard but i want to go as deep as we can together ali um is because we still believe it happened and mm. this is a key shifting in experience you know your your person who called in or whatever the question in the beginning was talking about you know sometimes i've i've got it together sometimes I'd, like he was describing what he was really describing as the course teaches is the split mind Mm -hmm. the mind is split. One part is the ego. One part is the love or Holy Spirit. But the course gets more specific. It says, but one of those is not real. The ego's voice, it's whose energy is fear, whose, whose only purpose is destruction, is not true. Now, we that that is such a profound idea. But when we back up into the mind where that split exists, we have many examples, phenomenal spiritual teachers along the path who have discovered the ability to release the fear part of the brain and center themselves fully in the Christ light, the Holy Spirit, the love, whatever word you want to use, the God self. That's the only real part. Everything else, the Course calls a dream. So forgiveness gives you the ability to, over time, sometimes, sometimes in a moment, to release the energy that you're giving the story about what happened and what it means about you, because it's the meaning mm -hmm. that traps us, you know? Did it or didn't happen? Fine. It happened in the dream, whatever you call it, but that's 40 years ago. Where are you now? And what is keeping it alive now is the meaning and the identification that I have embodied about it and about myself. This is really what is healed. 
this is what is forgiven and we become released from. And when we're, re- when we're released from the false identification, the true identification just sits there shining, light dancing with light, because that's all that's true about every one of us. That's what forgiveness takes us to. But people make forgiveness harder than it is. Um, so if I can get into that, I define forgiveness as something mystical that is done unto you. And the important key about this is you don't do it. I don't do it. I didn't get off the drugs. Something mystical, my higher power was activated. Was I a part of it? Sure. But there's something mystical that made what I was doing yesterday suddenly stop. And I knew I was so humble to the truth that I of myself couldn't have ever have done that. And that's the same experience for me when it came to forgiveness. I had something that I could never have caused of myself, of the part that believed myself separate, the part that believed myself wounded and broken, that part could never have found its way out of the hole. Mm. And that's what people try to do. That's when they say, I forgive you. What's the I? (laughs) Not that I forgive you are bad words, by the way. I mean, you know, they're, they're very, very helpful. But in the mystical dissection of it, I is not me. It is the mm-hmm. I am presence. It is the higher self. It is me. And so I do forgiveness. What's more authentic for me is to ask for forgiveness to be done because I don't do it. And because my asking is more about creating an opening. It's like I ask for something higher, the truth, the higher self. I ask that to dissolve the story and dissolve and release me from the identification that I have with the story. That's what I'm doing. I'm asking, and it's very simple words. I ask the forgiveness set me free. Okay, so I have a question. I have a question. So I've got adult children, and they don't let me get away with a lot of the spiritual stuff. You know, they're they're not, their eyes glaze over. They So when I try and give them my, an answer to a question, you know, like a life question, like, you know, what's forgiveness? They're not going to buy this divine thing that they don't have access to that lingo that awareness so how would you explain what you're explaining that you ask forgiveness to be done unto you like how do you how would you explain that process to a 30 something that doesn't believe in a divine that is more earthly based you know going around life they might believe in, in you know, manifesting is like big these days with the, the younger crowd, you know, but yeah. the whole God thing isn't as much. And so how would you explain this forgiveness or, you know, asking forgiveness when there's not this ability to tap into God or something? Well, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I wouldn't. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't waste my time and I wouldn't waste theirs. Like I don't need to tell anyone anything they don't want to hear. <laughs> like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go out there and evangelize and and bring someone. Like if you don't want it, don't do it. Right, That's- but but a lot of people want to forgive, but they just don't want to bring God into the scenario. They want relief. They want relief yeah. from yeah, the power. Yeah. But here's the deal, and this is, and I'll, I'll I don't mind your pushback, but I'm just not interested in dumbing down my words to help someone be comfortable. It's not my calling. It's not my, other people are brilliant at helping people cross a bridge. 
I don't have that gift. <laughs> like I, I speak in the language I speak in because it's of my soul. I speak in the words I use because that's magnetic for those who I'm meant to work with and teach. So I just, for some reason, I got to say that, but let me say yes and. Let me yes and you to just just for the purpose because again like I I don't know why Allie I'd be like okay you don't want it I'm out of here yeah. <laughs> I'll just I'll leave fast I'll leave but fast. you and I both know through human design that you're a projector so I'm giving you an invitation I know you are because <laughs> <laughs> I'm like oh so this is so let me find I'm gonna do my you know I also yeah. Do channeling. And so you're going to, I'm going to do this because I don't want my words to, to get in the way. So really, let me take a breath if I may and just get okay, this. Okay. Yeah, please. Sir. Cause there is something in me that, that wants to answer. And so what we're really describing in this moment is a letting go of a sense of self that is less than the truth of your whole being. It's a surrendering of a story about yourself that 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 got imprinted on you from an experience. So it, you could really make it as simple as letting go of a story that doesn't support you, letting go of an identification that has you limited and makes you unable to manifest your good. You see, the overlay of a broken story upon your vibration is what's blocking you from creating that better job. It's what's blocking you from what's creating more income. So you may say, I'm not into that, but I would say to you, look at the wall that's in the way of what you want. The wall that's in the way of what you want needs to come down so that you can manifest from your power, from your strength. The way to bring that wall down is simply what is called forgiveness. Forgiveness will take that wall down brick by brick by brick until it is completely dissolved if you give it enough time. And when that wall of resistance and false identification is brought down, your power to create the life that is inside of you will flow with grace and ease uninhibited. Who doesn't want that? You did, is that it. Better? <laughs> <laughs> you did it. And I could just see myself talking to one of my children. And, and you know, there wasn't a spiritual word in there. There wasn't oh, anything good. in there. <laughs> I literally wasn't listening. I had to like totally, because I'm like, oh, I am resistant to this one. So let me get out of the way. So Yeah, no, it was really good. It was more like you said, you know, let forgiveness take the wall down one break at a time. And I was thinking, yeah, we can all wrap our head around forgiveness, what that feels like. And there's a particular energy that that comes with it, not to get too spiritual or woo-woo, but there's a like an energy of like a wall step blocking, blocking me from my good, my job, my good relationship, whatever it is that I want. And so just seeing kind of maybe even has a color, like the energy of forgiveness might even have a color or it might even be a little image and taking that wall down, it feels like a liberation. It feels like yeah. a, yeah. Yes. Yeah, thank you. Thank that you. Is, I will take that and apply it to my life. And I <laughs> will now teach it better because of you. <laughs> so oh, thank wow. you. Yeah, I do think um uh who doesn't who doesn't want to express themselves more fully and freely and to feel happier. 
and and you use the right word. It is liberation. Forgiveness brings you to liberation. Yeah. So um, let's talk a little bit about A Course in Miracles. And I know that, I mean, not the teaching as much as, as how you came to it. Um, how does it meld? Like, how did it feather in with everything else that you already, you know, you've been studying for years, I would imagine, before yeah. you heard about A Course in Miracles. So how did that feather in with, with your worldview or your spiritual view um, when you found it? Was it a, a, did it like click like a puzzle piece or was there a little bit of a time and, for the integration to happen? Uh, I had first heard about it. I was going to a unity church in my 20s in Chicago. And I started Unity when I was 14, by the way, and a very big, dramatic, like 3000 member center in Warren, Michigan called Church of Today under Jack Boland. So as a kid, I started being very influenced by a very powerful uh, truth teacher. Then moved to Chicago after college and was involved there. And that the, one of the ministers taught from a course. And I was very, I loved her. She was good and she was brilliant. So a part of me was like, ooh. And I remember seeing the book for sale in the bookstore and I bought one. I remember thinking, this is my book. But it took another 10 years before I could really, so it was my book that I put on the shelf, which I think a lot of people can relate to because it's hard to read. It's written in traditional Christian language, which triggers people, uh, probably triggered me for a moment, but it really like what it really does is heal those words and give you the mystical definitions of them. And I love that the course won't be codependent with anyone. It's like truth mm -hmm. in the room. Mm -hmm. Yet it's going to make me line up with it, not it line up with me. So I'm grateful for that. Um, so I started really diving into it. Gosh, in 2003, no, 2000. Yeah, somewhere around there is when it really came alive. And, you know, a little bit of time, a little bit of time, read this book, read that book. Um, and then when 2010, I went to India for a month and stayed at Nashram. And that's where I had a very profound experience of Jesus who channeled the course. Mm -hmm. That's where it became kind of aligned within me. Like the idea I had like, ooh, that's my book. Years later, it kind of really became a vibrational match from that. Um, I find it to be very different. I find truth to be clear in science of mind. I find truth to be clear in unity. What is not clear is the organizations and those who are teaching and expressing it in a split dualistic way. That's that's just what, what happens in the world. I did it myself. Course in Miracles to me is non-duality. Course in Miracles is truly non-doership. And so for me, it was like, whoa, this thing is is got a mystical power, and it the way it teaches and the way it makes me look at the ego world and the truth simultaneously is phenomenal. I've not seen that done so well in the other new thought organizations, at least for me. Someone else could have a very different experience. So I want to be clear that for me, it just worked. Yeah. Yeah. And I can sense that. I, I feel it through your words. I When I'm sitting in a room and you're giving a talk, I can I can get that sense of fully embodying these teachings, you know, mm -hmm. bringing it all together. Um, so you've said several times you've referenced a couple mystical experiences. And for those of us that haven't 
had a mystical experience or maybe we have but we we didn't recognize it what what is a mystical experience yeah i wish i could bottle it and i'd be a billionaire <laughs> if i could bottle this and pass it on but what is really then this is my stretch is like i my spirit is like you must talk about this you must talk more about this so thank you for asking because i sort of keep it in the back room a little bit a mystical experience is something that is done unto you, like forgiveness. A mystical experience is done unto you where it's inside of you in a way that you know you're not orchestrating. Even if it's a revelation of an idea that you're like, that's not my idea. Like I did not like something dropped that in or something made that happen. Or, you know, it's just something that when you really pause, you go, I that that's a greater than what I could ever think. <laughs> that's a small example of it. Um, I will give you one more in India real quickly. Um, I had been developing a very intimate relationship with Jesus in India, which was not my plan. I went to India to get a cool Eastern guru. That's what <laughs> I wanted. And I traveled halfway around the world to be told inside me that Jesus was my guy. And I well, was he was in India, according to some. He what? He was in India for oh, a period absolutely. of his time, according yeah. to some. <laughs> yeah, but I just didn't want, you know, I wanted to be cooler than that. <laughs> um, so anyway, had a big healing there. But one time, this is an example of it. Uh, I, we're in a teaching. The monks do phenomenal metaphysical teachings where I was. And then you went into a meditation or experience of it. As his teaching was coming to a close, I heard Jesus at that time in me keeps repeat my name and don't stop and it had this urgency to it that scared me a little bit i was like holy shit what what is that about repeat my name and don't stop like that now right there that's not that's not my words what's happening mm -hmm. inside so when it came time to go meditate we could spread out throughout the room i went way in the back of the room because i just knew something else was happening to me and so I wanted to be away from the other energy. So I was way off on my own. I closed my eyes. And I was just like, it, what it was, was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. And admittedly, Allie, I was feeling nervous. So I was like saying it like there's something here. Suddenly, everything that I'd ever been called, all the judgments against myself were swirling around it. Like it was like, you're a this, you're a that, you're a faggot, you're a sissy, blah, 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 blah. Just attack thoughts, swirling like a rodeo spinning around me jesus christ jeez now i'm like really saying it because i'm like oh my god the guns <laughs> were loaded. everything the guns were loaded everything in my mind was coming out and circling me i just stayed anchored jesus christ and in a moment every one of those thoughts went and it was perfectly quiet it was quiet like i can't even describe they just disappear. So what's going on in your body at this time? I mean, you it's just, just light, just white light and very conscious, but no thought. And then I would do like, I was like, and I remember going, Jesus Christ. Ooh, ooh, and it just rippled in the energy field. And then I just sort of merged into this light for a while. And I sort of disappeared, but I sort of was not disappeared. Like it was just, there was no mind. I was in the no mind for a while. And I really feel like, so that's a mystical experience, a healing, because my mystical experiences are only for the healing. That's what it feels like for me thus far. Um, and it was a healing where my mind was released 
from all of these judgments. You know, when someone calls you a name, it lives there in the vibration. So all of these thousands of voices that are in our head, mostly they stay quiet, they stay suppressed. But when we get triggered and afraid, boom, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So that's another example of a gift I was just given. So I have a question because I had a mystical experience when I was five years old and it just stays with me. And I've had you know, a couple since, several since. And what I find is there's a particular, yeah, it happened to me. Like it wasn't something that I was preparing for at five years old, for, good, right. for goodness sakes. Right. And, um, and it stayed with me. I never talked about it. And maybe I did when I was a bit older, once I became spiritual, um, I did talk about it on occasion. But there's something wonderful about having something ha like that happen. It It's timeless. Like it, it yeah. even though it happened, you know, 1970, whatever, or 60, whatever, it, it still seems to be very fresh today. And um, it still is unpacking. Like it's still mm. giving me, like when I tune into it, it can. It's here. Right, it's here. And so can you talk a little bit about that like aspect of the this, you know, the plain one and the Jesus in the ashram? That should be like a chapter in your next book or something. I don't know. Um, you know, what tell me about how it's still alive in you or how you can access it or like it feels like a like a chat like a conversation that's still going on or a you access to a dimension of information that's it's not information is not quite the right word. It's a transference something. Yeah. Well, and this is where my edge is. So thank you, Allie, for bringing me to my edge here with oh, you. <laughs> this is my kind of vulnerable spot because I can be right back. <laughs> I've got a part of me that's like, you can't tell people you've had so many. It's selfish. Like why? Like it's a weird thing that I just personally kind of, and I, I've got to lay that down because my spirit is like, these stories must be told so they yes. can be told. Just like your story. Yes. Like, I think it is the time to talk about them because they do come alive in me and they reconnect me to humility. They reconnect me to like, I'm not doing this anyway. So why, why get all stirred up? Like, you know, and like they reconnect me to how loved we are. We yeah. are so loved. The we that is the identity in the divine, not this, not the separated we that we're dreaming is broken. That's a you're not broken. That's your dream self. That's your mm -hmm. not self. And to use uh, um, human design language, it's the not self that we give our energy to. And then we go, yeah, I remember being the not self, like the broken part, and like going, God fix this. God fix this. <laughs> God, I feel like God would be like, well, then take your attention off of it. No, you get down here. You get down here and change this. And God's like, why don't you just come up here? <laughs> Let it disappear. But it shows you how attached we are, right? The universe is saying, let it go, look up. But mm -hmm. oh, that doesn't, it feels like a, sometimes it feels like a, such a horrible thing to do, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, there's so much horrible stuff going on in the world and we're coming to the you know the the close to the end of our time together i can't believe we've been doing this for 45 minutes but there is so much heavy stuff going on in the world today 
And yeah, we can sit in our comfortable little, you know, meditation rooms or office or home, whatever. We're and, very blessed. You know, but, you know, there is a lot going on in the world. So this that song, What the World Needs Now is Love, Sweet Love, that plays in my head quite a bit these days when I'm, you know, thinking of what's going on in the Ukraine or what's going on in the Middle East. So I'm like, what does the world need now? Uh, you know, from your, the most evolved part of you, this awakened part of you, this channel, what does the world need now? The world needs people to wake up to the revelation that the world is in their mind. There is no external world. Mm -hmm. 100% in your mind, the suffering broken world, heal that. Heal every broken thought within you. Heal your attack thoughts. Be so committed to pay attention to your thinking and heal the split in your mind. That's what the world needs. Because when one mind is healed and restored to its natural one voice of love, that mind becomes a power center to reverberate love like never known before. A split mind can do little at best. And that's why we keep recycling the wars. We keep recycling the stories. We will not stop recycling the broken dream and the suffering dream if people don't realize where it is living. It's not, it's not out there. That's the projection that the ego does to make you think it's out there. The only suffering world is in my mind. Okay. Feel that the world is healed. All right. Well, I am so thrilled to have had this conversation with you. I feel like we just got started. There were other things that I wanted to dive into. So I'm going to invite you back to, to talk more about some of those things because the world does need to expand its vision on what's possible and to question, question the mind. Yeah. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for being my guest. I love you and I'm cheering you on from my little meditation room here in Utah. And thank you to all of our guests. It's been a beautiful conversation. Um, and we'll see you next week. Next week, I have Kim Boda. She works with Dr. Joe Dispenza as one of his support team. And you're going to love her too. So thank you to Mike. Thank you to Michael, our producer. And thank you to the New Thought Media Network and Satya. Peace and blessings. Love you.